Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. How's that? Good? All right. I think we got who we got. So there, there are some notes for your handout. Um, if you want to grab those as you get seated. Um, my name is Brandon Briscoe. I am the college and young adult pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple. Um, I've been in college and young adult ministry for I guess five and a half years now, and uh, before that I did youth ministry at Midtown Baptist Temple, and uh, it's a real privilege, it's a privilege to be here, to be asked to do this, Uh, it's an honor uh, to be with you guys, and uh, I have to say I'm I'm a serious Living Faith Fellowship fanboy, so I love the the fellowship, and uh, so, so much so that I made, sh- made sure we had a central location for all the fellowship stuff, and, and I just took it upon myself to make sure that we had a website and a blog and, and all these other things, because I wanted to make sure that all of the, the, the knowledge and input from all the pastors and, and all of the churches was, was centralized so that we could have a place to have, that's what I wanted. So I, I did that just because I'm a fan, and, uh, and I'm so thankful for it, and it is a, it's a privilege to be here and to be asked to be a part of this, and, and I, you know, I, I have to admit that when I was asked, it felt a little bit strange because I still feel a little bit young. There's, there's pastors in this room right now who have been doing discipleship for, well, probably since I was like 10 years old. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of hard for me to think about being the guy that, that gets to come and talk about how, how to do discipleship or how to implement discipleship. That's kind of a daunting thing for me. But, but I have had the privilege of being around men uh, who have taught me a lot about discipleship, and I have the privilege of being a part of a fruitful ministry where discipleship uh, is happening uh, in a very exciting way. And so being around that, I've learned a lot, and hopefully I'll be able to share some things that will be beneficial to you and your churches. And so I want to I first say that I'm not ass- assuming anything. Um, I'm just going to share what I know and what God showed me. And if it helps and it applies to your church, please use it, please run with it. Um, but I don't want to assume anything about any church or any pastor or what you're doing. I just, I just want to be able to provide you with, with something that you can walk away with or adapt or, or m- might be helpful in terms of your philosophical approach to discipleship. I've grown up in Baptist churches uh, my whole life. I got saved in a church called Blue Ridge Baptist Temple, which later on I found out was actually where Alan Shelby was a pastor and came up for a while. And so um, I got saved there when I was a kid. And then uh, my mom took me to an SBC church for a little while in the Kansas City area. So I went to a Southern Baptist church for a little bit. It was big tent, big mega church focus. Uh, and then um, I ended up at Kansas City Baptist Temple, which is where I first um, learned about discipleship. And I got discipled by Dan Renault, right there, sitting right there. 
And then, uh, and then I got to, to be a part of the Midtown Baptist Temple church plant. So I was a part of that, that initial group of people that went out to plant the church in Midtown. And in all the years of doing ministry and, and doing discipleship or being around discipleship or seeing churches in different contexts, different cultures, um, I have to say that where I learned discipleship was, was in the crucible of church planting. And, and so this idea that I want to present to you today, I'm calling it pervasive discipleship, but what I learned uh, about discipleship was really happened primarily in the context of, of a group of people pioneering a new work. And early on, what I realized, you know, I was 22 years old when we started going down to Midtown. And what I realized really quickly is that if this, if this church plant was going to thrive, if it was going to, actually, if it was going to survive, first of all, but if it was ever going to come to a place of thriving, it was going to require every one of us that came down to Midtown to recognize that Sam was not the only disciple maker. And all of us had to, to become leaders in a, in a moment. Like I went from the, the kid that was, you know, cleaning up after class, uh, the, the, the guy that was on the hospitality team, and I was just, you know, I was just serving, I was playing my part. I went from that guy to recognizing really quickly that I had to lead and I had to give everything, that there was something that was going to be sacrificed. And so I learned this idea of pervasive discipleship, discipleship being everywhere and all the time and in everything in a context of church planting and where everybody had to step up and say, yeah, discipleship is my responsibility and this has got to be my life or we're not going to make it. And so I'm really thankful for learning that way. And I have to say that to some degree, Midtown Baptist Temple, we've grown since then. And uh, we're, we're a fairly large, we're a mid-sized church now. And I have to say that for the most part, that culture has stayed with us. This idea of, and that, that's really, I think that that's our, one of our strong suits as a church, is that this idea of everyone all the time discipling has stayed with our culture as we've, as we've grown. And so you can even see in the, in the newest and youngest disciplers in our church, you can see this kind of pioneering spirit. And this desire to get people to, to not just be members of the church, but to be ministers in the church and, and drawing them into the work and showing them how every aspect of life from Bible study to children's ministry to hospitality, all those things can actually be discipleship too. And uh, they, they, can, they, can, they can serve to, to function as discipleship in the body. Um, that's what I've learned and I, I, I want to kind of share that with you t- today and over the next couple days if that's okay so the question for us is going to be, uh, how do we make discipleship per- pervasive? Uh, how do we make it fully integrated? How do we make it highly zealous? And how do we make it a sustainable discipleship that, that lasts from generation to generation? That's what we're going to talk about. So let's pray, and then let's get into it. Cool? Everybody awake? Everybody ready to roll? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. God, I thank you for the privilege of being here. Um, God, I'm, I'm grateful for discipleship in my life. And uh, if, if the only uh, justification for being here this morning is just to offer a thanks to you um, for how you just completely altered the direction of my life, um, Lord, I just want to say thank you. You deserve all of the honor, um, you do this work. As We can talk strategy and philosophy all day long, 
But at the end of the day, if we're not abiding in you, and if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, and if you're not going before us, it will be vain, and it will be empty. And so, Lord, I just pray that the way that you change my life, and you change the direction of my life, that you'll do that for, for many, many, many more people in churches all over the U.S., all over the world. Uh, Lord, that all of us in this room this morning would represent uh, people that can be used, and Lord, that you would use us, and that you'd make us profitable for your kingdom. Uh, we want to see, Lord, um, we want to see our, ch- our churches survive, and we want to see our churches thrive. We want to see generations of disciples being made, and that's going to take your help, and uh, that's going to take you doing, doing the work and, and, and bearing the fruit. You are the husbandman, and so, Lord, please make us into uh, profitable uh, branches that bear fruit. Help us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so let's, let's begin by defining our terms. I don't want to assume that because all of us uh, are at a discipleship conference and our churches maybe even have something called discipleship, that all of us are on the same page. You know, we, we're not necessarily all starting from the same place. And so let's, let's begin just by defining our terms. And, and the very first thing that we need to define is what is discipleship? And uh, so we need to come uh, to an agreed term. And, and so I'm going to define discipleship this way. Discipleship is the process of a believer being conformed into the image of Christ. All right? It's the process of a disciple being established, a believer being distab- established in the person of Jesus Christ through the word of Jesus Christ, following after him and obeying him in a way that looks like and reflects the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at John 8.31 real quick to help us further exhaust this definition. John 8.31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue, continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And so the first thing that we learn from that is that, a, that discipleship is for believers. It's for people who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I know I've, I've heard from time to time that, that people will begin discipleship with someone who's not saved. And I, I would suggest that that's not actually discipleship. It doesn't become discipleship until that person has put their faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells them. Because how do you, how do you follow Christ if you've not believed on him? And so we need to start there. Is that discipleship is for believers. So it can't just be, you know, it, you can't have discipleship unless you first have evangelism. Okay, so, so evangelism has to come before discipleship. The next thing that we see here is that discipleship is a process, not a program. And I think a lot of us would amen that. We hear that all the time, don't we? I mean, it's, that's the thing that we, we throw around is that, that it's a process, not a program. But oftentimes we treat discipleship unintentionally as an obligation within our churches. Right? As a, as a spiritual rite of passage but not as a lifelong and continual journey of growth. And so we, ha- you know, we sign people up for discipleship because some way, we, we, you know, in our minds, we believe that the act of being discipled in our church is, some- is somehow a rite of passage spiritually, and once you've gone through the gauntlet of discipleship, somehow you've been made a disciple, right? And we could check, we could check that box, and-, and all of us can give each other the nod. It's like the Jeep Club. Right, or the Harley guys, it's like, yeah, we acknowledge, like, you've done that thing, and, uh, 
sometimes we do that, but we're not, it doesn't mean that we're actually developing true disciples. Believers that, that live and breathe adherence to God's word. And so John 8, 31, the second part of this, it says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And so the continuation of following Christ is critical, not finishing the lessons. Finishing the lessons is not what's critical. What's critical is continuing to follow the Lord beyond that momentary 9 to 12 months that we spend working with someone or mentoring someone. This third part is that discipleship sets people free to serve God. Uh, in, the, in verse 32 there it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, free for what? We know what we're free from, but free for what? We've been liberated for something, for a purpose. And that's to ensure that God's word gets in the lives of every person in our community. And so we know that we're making disciples when that person is free indeed, free to minister in our church. And so we need to be setting people free to do ministry. Um, and we'll, talk, we'll be talking about that a lot this week. This week, um, the outcome of discipleship is a person who knows the word and produces freedom in the mission. So, when Living Faith Fellowship speaks about discipleship philosophically, we generally mean the personal investment of God's word into the life of another believer for the sake of sanctification and servanthood. And discipleship happens in an exchange between two people centered on God's word. That's what we mean. Can we can we agree to those terms? This morning? Okay, but what do we mean by pervasive? That's the word that's going to feel a little less familiar maybe. The word pervasive means spread throughout. Or spreading widely throughout an area or a group of people. So pervasive discipleship is a discipleship that gets beyond the sterile laboratory of that one-on-one discipleship environment, right? Right? Isn't there a lot, there's a lot of safety in that little environment when it's you one-on-one and you're opening up and you're sharing and you're looking at God's word and, and, and the, the mess is confined to that little space. But a pervasive discipleship escapes that laboratory environment and it begins to spill out into every aspect of ministry and life. And that's what we mean. Pervasive discipleship is when the culture of discipleship begins to infiltrate every aspect of your ministry And people in your church begin to see discipleship as happening everywhere all the time. Discipleship among children's workers, within the hospitality team, on the security team. Some of you all don't have security teams. You don't know about that. That's Midtown Life right there. We've got a beefed up security team. Uh, Or in in the Sunday school environment, in outreach ministries that you do, is discipleship happening? In your small groups, Is discipleship happening? Pervasive discipleship is the type of discipleship that makes ministry exciting and prepares your entire church for the work of church planting. And and, and not just church planting, but, but planting churches that plant churches. You understand? It ensures that generations to come will hold fast the form of sound words. And, I, and I, this is a th- theme that I'm going to keep coming back to as we, as we go over the next couple days, is that a lot of times what keeps our discipleship relegated to a program is that we don't have big vision. Is that our leadership, our, and, and God forbid, even our pastors, we don't see big. 
We don't imagine ourselves. We don't daydream in bed at night. We don't think and lay there and say to ourselves, we are planting churches. That's what we're doing. Is that we're, This thing is going everywhere, all over the world, and I'll die unless God uses me that way. And when we think small, our discipleship gets small. And so if we don't believe that our church is capable of planting churches, if we don't know, know or believe that we're capable of sending out missionaries or training up leaders to do a work greater than the one that we can see in front of us, if we don't believe that way, then we will shrink, shrink the discipleship concept down to a program. And that's dangerous. And so what I want to do is suggest that we have to begin by dreaming and thinking big, thinking that God actually does want to save the world, and he does somehow want to use me to do it. And that he somehow wants to use this little church to do that. And as I dream those big dreams, then suddenly discipleship, I get to design backwards. I get to take the end product that I can imagine. I get to design backwards and imagine every aspect of my ministry, everything that I have influence over. And even that discipleship relationship, that one-on-one relationship, I can say to myself, how does this somehow impact that greater vision that I can see down the road? And so that's, that's necessary. We're going to keep coming back to that idea as we, as we continue on throughout the week. And so um, each day we're going to talk about a different aspect. Today we're going to talk about prevailing discipleship. Prevailing discipleship. So we'll, we'll start by addressing what that means, okay? A prevailing discipleship is a discipleship that functions as the dominant work of every member within a church. A prevailing discipleship is a discipleship that functions as the dominant, the dominant work of every member within a church. Dominant meaning it's not only primary, it's not only the primary thing in front of us, but it's the thing that dominates and rules over every action and thought that we conduct as individual believers and as a body of local believers. And so what I mean is a church where growth and training is implicit, Right? It's, it's your very nature. It's the culture of who you are. It's a church that is urgently yet naturally producing leaders. And I think that's critical too, is that, that there has to be an urgency. Okay, if we believe that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent, that means we have a, a, a small amount of time that we have to work within. We have a small life. Our life is short. It's but a vapor. We have this small amount of time to work in. We feel the urgency. It's upon us every day. All right? And one of the things I think COVID has taught us is that life is very fleeting, and we lose loved ones like this. We're here, and then we're gone. And God has used that in my life to remind me that this work is an urgent work, but it also has to be a very natural work, because sometimes urgency produces a synthetic and plastic thing, a thing that you force a thing that becomes programmatic, a thing that becomes fleshly and carnal in nature. But we want to trust the Spirit, and we need to trust the Lord that He's going to use us. We want the work of discipleship to be natural, and in that way it's got to be organic, it's got to be a part of everything that we're doing. By prevailing discipleship, I mean a church where discipleship is sustainable. It means that we can, we can believe and know that the, our approach to discipleship is going to last from generation to generation. A prevailing discipleship is a discipleship ministry where discipleship is winning all the time. It's winning. Even when it's losing, it's winning. Even when 
when it, you know how bad it hurts when someone steps away from a discipleship relationship and you see them walk away from the Lord or, or they, don't, they, they, they recant their commitments. That's hard. It's hard and it feels like a loss and maybe that battle was lost. But prevailing discipleship means that we're winning the war and that as a whole, our churches are taking ground and I think that's critical. So we know that not everyone who has a philosophy of discipleship is prevailing in discipleship. Just because you have a philosophy of discipleship that's been handed down to you does not mean that that work is prevailing. And so the first question has to be, how do we know if something's wrong? Right? How do I know? How do I know if something isn't quite right in my discipleship ministry? And that requires examination. So let's examine this way. When the culture of discipleship is bad and the fruit is ineffectual, it will reproduce. It just won't reproduce life. Discipleship as a program, it will produce something, but it just won't reproduce life. So it may reproduce knowledge, right? It may reproduce knowledge. You might have people that are growing in their knowledge base and their ability to understand things about God's word, but that's not necessarily life. It may produce works. It may produce a ministry of people that are working really hard for the Lord, that are signing up for stuff and doing stuff, and you got the potlucks, and you got the the children's workers, and everybody signed up, and all the slots are filled, but that's not necessarily life. And it may, it may reproduce traditions. And we all have traditions. And some of those traditions are good and some of them are, are, are handed down to us from believers that came long before us. Some of them are just cultural traditions. And, and so what you may do is find that your discipleship is reproducing traditions. But we know for a fact that traditions aren't life. So how do we ensure that discipleship has life and that it prevails? The very first thing that I want you to consider, consider and, and, and I want to I point out to you real quick that my job isn't to, I guess my job isn't to preach. That was the hardest thing about figuring this out, is that my job is just to stand up here and, and, and I'm going to preach as much as I can because I'm a preacher, but, um, but my job is to just to present to you anecdotally uh, how, I, I, how we do discipleship at Midtown Baptist Temple and how I do it in the College of Young Adult Ministry and what sticks, sticks, and what doesn't, it doesn't. And that's totally cool by me. So, so forgive me for being anecdotal when I go from preacher to just presenting strategy. But right here, I want to make sure that you understand something that's really important to us as leaders, and, and that is whether or not we're making discipleship the priority of what we're doing. Okay, so that's this first thing of establishing an esteem in our congregations for discipleship. Our churches must have a high esteem for the work and purpose of discipleship. And that doesn't happen by accident. Okay, so just because a pastor one day sat down with somebody or came to a conference like this, they're in the foundations class, and they get discipleship as a philosophy, and then they take that back to their church, and they start doing it, right? And they start doing that work in their churches, It's very easy to just take that and add that to the ministry spectrum, all of the other things that they've got going on, and it just gets lost within the shuffle. And what I'm saying is that as leaders, if we want discipleship to prevail, then we have to esteem it highly. 
It's a deliberate work of church leaders to make sure that, that discipleship is a priority. And so here's your first key point. Establishing a congregational priority is the work of a shepherd. That's a shepherd's work. If the pastor is not talking about it, it's not important. You know that, right? One of the funniest things about, about working in ministry is, with Sam is, is watching him try to decide what he's going to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's all these things that always have to be addressed. And sometimes there's space for it and sometimes there's not. But the one thing that there's always space for is talking about discipleship. Isaiah 40, 11 says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are, are with young. We can't expect positive outcomes in areas of ministry that we don't trumpet. We can't expect discipleship to work if we're not talking about it. That's a big deal. So we must consider the fact that there are practical ways in which we can convey that discipleship is the priority, and that we hold to it with high regard. And so I'm going to give you some practical ways of doing that. The first thing is this. Do away with competing agendas. Do away with them. You know, it's easy to call Midtown Baptist Temple a discipleship church, but it's a very difficult thing to build. And because we, like most churches, have the ability to promote a million things. I mean, one more chili meal that raises money for this thing, and then we've got the, the women's conference, and we've got the women's retreat, the marriage retreat. We've got the, we've got, guys, I can't even, when we sit down to do the calendar, it boggles my mind, the things that we fit into that calendar. It's incredible. So much going on, so much. And it's really easy to promote a million things and promote nothing at the exact same time. In the early days of the postscript, I had the benefit of sitting down with Mark Trotter, okay? And, and, and so we, did, we get to, got to do like six episodes of the postscript together before he passed away. And in one of the episodes, he talks about, uh, I think it's episode 18. He talks about uh, how FBC came to discover discipleship. And I love hearing him talk about when he discovered discipleship. In that same episode, he talks about when he realized that the KJV was God's infallible word for us and uh it's just it's it was just wonderful talking uh, you know i go back to those if there's any episodes that i listen to i don't like listening to myself but any episodes i go back to it's usually those mark trotter episodes because i just want to hear his voice <clears throat> but he made this statement in that episode and um i'll never forget it i'm gonna i'm gonna read it to you real quick it might be up on the screen too when talking about discovering discipleship and, and realizing it was something that he had to implement or he was going to die, you know, it was like this something he, he knew he had to see happen at FBC. He said this, we had ministries all over the place and we only had so much time in a week. So first we shot the choir. As the, that's the terminology he used. He, we shot the choir and the orchestra. Churches have orchestras, I think, or at least they used to. He shot the orchestra. Then we took the life support off the programs and traditions. We took away everything that gave us the illusion of life. We decided that if we don't do anything else, let's do the one thing he called us to do. 
In other words, we should relinquish ministries that impede or prevent people from doing the one thing that God has made them to do. We got to stop letting other stuff get in the way, other good things that aren't the right things. You know a church's priorities based on where they put their resources, people, time, energy, money. The people of your church will know how serious you take the Great Commission when you can't shut up about discipleship. So we have to decide first and foremost that we're willing to put other things to rest in order to make discipleship the primary thing. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing we have to consider. The second thing is we need to consider deliberate communication. We have to make our communication very, very deliberate. What you communicate about discipleship has everything to do with whether or not it's a priority to you. Pastors and leaders do a lot of talking. We're really good at it, right? I mean, I'm so afraid to stand up here and put a mic on, but then once I got the mic, I could talk about a million things. I could just go on and on and on and on. We're really good, we're really good at talking about a lot of stuff, but listen to me. Can the flock discern that discipleship is the distinct priority from the content of your speech? When they hear you talking, in the midst of all of that talking, can they hear that discipleship is the distinct priority? Are we actively publishing the idea that discipleship is who we are? Is the messaging to the church clear and consistent? Here are some ways in which we can emphasize discipleship in our communication. You can write these things down if you want to. But these are just things, questions that we need to ask ourselves, okay? Is discipleship regularly a part of, of your announcements? A few years ago, we decided that we were going to stop doing 10 announcements on a Sunday morning. And we were going to cut that down to three. And so week after week, we're working to just make, in the pulpit, make three announcements. That's our goal. But in your announcements, discipleship, does it keep coming up? Because if it's important, it will. Is it in your bulletin? If you still do bulletins, is it in your bulletin? You know, are there there little banners that say, hey, next cost of discipleship class is coming up, don't miss it? Do your leaders make an effort to talk about it when they preach? In the Sunday school classes, are they talking about that? In the fellowships, are they talking about discipleship? Is it a part of your post-service invitation? You know, everybody does invitations different nowadays. When I was young, invitation was always one thing. You know, when I, in the 80s, in a Baptist church, there was only one invitation. You're probably going to hell, and if you don't want to go to hell, come forward at the end of service, right? That was the invitation. That was the invitation I responded to. It changed my life. But, you know, the truth is, In the 80s in the Baptist churches, at least the ones I was around, there was no such thing as discipleship. I didn't know about sanctification. I thought that happened by just coming to church on Sunday. And and so, so, you know, if if discipleship is a priority, our invitations are going to include, do you need to grow in your faith? And if you do, there's one way of doing it. We call it biblical discipleship, and this is how we implement it. Come sign up. Do you celebrate the completion of discipleship in front of the whole congregation? 
When someone gets discipled and they make it through that and they come through the other end of discipleship one, do you bring them forward in front of the church and give them a certificate and applaud them and and let everybody in your church know how important that decision was and how difficult it is to go through that and and how big of a deal it is to to, to you and the other members that they've done that work? You you know, we started celebrating the completion of D2 or whatever you guys call it. Everybody calls it something different in their church. But we started celebrating that. When someone finishes those, those classes, we celebrate that too. Do you let people regularly share testimonies of how discipleship has changed their life? Like you carve out in your prayer meeting or your Wednesday night service or your Sunday night service or whenever it may be, time for someone to come up and just say, hey, this is how discipleship changed my whole life. Those are ways in which we can esteem discipleship to where it needs to be. The frequency of these communications is important because the church knows that anything that takes up that much real estate must be significant to the leadership. And so we've got to, we've got to put it front and center. The other thing is, and this, this is the next point, is that we need to display discipleship centrally within our church. So if discipleship is important to the church, then it should be reflected in the physical space in which it inhabits. And so there's a few ways of emphasizing that. Like in our lobby, we have a discipleship counter where people know that they can go there to that counter to get help, ask questions, get whatever they need because discipleship's a big deal, you know? Getting coffee is a big deal. We devote a lot of space in our church, Baptist churches to where they can get coffee. There's signs and arrows and, and people working, greeting you, you know? But do, is the, look, I don't, I'm not judging anybody. Coffee's a big deal at Midtown. Y'all know that, okay? If you've been to Midtown, you know coffee's a big deal. I'm not judging anybody. But if your coffee, if your coffee station takes up more space than your discipleship station, I, you know, I wonder if there's a priority issue there. Ways to emphasize discipleship in our churches, you know, um, that designated space, clear signage. Here's another thing um, that I think is, is a big deal is, you know, a lot of times we have discipleship, but we don't know where to send people. And the, having the counter is a big deal, but having people work in that counter is a bigger, bigger deal. And one of the things that I've realized is that sometimes people, people have questions about discipleship, but they don't have, know who to go to. And so here's another thing is like on our website, is it easy to find information about discipleship? I mean, we have the events, we have the events where we can go and see all the things that are going on with the give button is right there, get in the navigation bar. You know, it's, you know, it might even be the second thing. It's like statement of faith, give, you know, I don't know what, there's a lot to learn about someone's priorities based on a navigation bar of their website. But if there's not a button that says, shows me how I can grow. And I can't click on that, and it's not like 10 clicks in. Like, oh, yeah, we've got a page devoted to discipleship. Yeah, you just got to click here, click there, click seven times here, and then click down here, and brother so-and-so's name's there. You got to copy and paste his email address. I don't know if that's priority, right? Like, I don't know if that, that constitutes as priority. And so do people know who to go to and how to find that person? Do they know how to sign up? Do we make it easy for them, or do we make it hard? 
Do we create unnecessary hurdles to discipleship? And again, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being so practical, but I do believe that your church's identity is formed by the persistence of your communication. And none of us can afford to let discipleship unintentionally become the background noise of what we're doing. We have to work at keeping it in the foreground. Okay, so that's the first thing is do we esteem discipleship highly? The next thing is, and this is important, and it's going to seem like we're stepping out, outside the boundaries a little bit, but I think it has incre- incredible relevance. And then we'll kind of come back to a discipleship focus here, but I think the next thing is this. Is evangelism instinctual? to your church? Is it instinctual? Because, because listen, I, I want to say, it. let's put our finger on this pulse for a second and consider if there's life there. Because it has more to do with discipleship than we realize sometimes. And so I want to start with this key point. It's this. If discipleship is going to prevail, evangelism must prevail. Evangelism and discipleship are divinely tangled together. By God. I mean, so much, I mean, you've read the Great Commission, right? You read it and you, you read it and you say to yourself, where does, disi- where does evangelism begin and discipleship begin? You can see it, but the way in which God wrote it, the beauty of it is that there's supposed to be this seamless interaction. It's not, the Great Commission doesn't say, first you go and you evangelize somebody, and then you work real hard at getting them to sign up for something called discipleship. Not, that's not how it reads. It reads in a way that says you go and you teach with the, with the goal of leading people to Christ so that they begin the work of discipleship. That it's written in such a way that God makes it seamless for us and we like to separate them as though there's some sort of like, it's so unnatural for us to do this, but we separate them as like completely different works. But the two things speak to each other in a way that's really important. Paul explains this dy- dynamic in terms of planting seed and watering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, who, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then the, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, that, the oneness of the watering and the planting, I think, is an important point. And I want to camp there for a, a second. So we can extrapolate a series of things from this passage. All right? The first thing is this. Every church needs planters. Or sowers. You know, Matthew 13 talks about this idea of sowing seed. Okay? And that for us inspirationally is talking about leading people to Christ, like giving them the word of God. And some will receive it and some won't, but we do the work of, of sowing. That's how that works. This is an evangelism investment, the work of planting and sowing. So we know that. That's a role. That's the role that Paul met here in the church, right? He planted. And then there's this other role that Apollos met. Every church needs waterers. And that's the discipleship investment. That's the person that works on the sanctification of the believers. That's the mentorship in God's word. The church needs waterers. And of course, God gives the increase. Let's take that for granted for a moment. God gives the increase. It's, it's ultimately his work. What sticks is, is, belongs to him. The harvest is his. He's the true husbandman. 
It all belongs to him. He'll work that part out. But the, but the church needs planters, and the church needs waterers. And here's, here's another th- thing that we have to get here, is every ch- church needs every member to deliberately function as both a planter and a waterer. So if we look at the church in Corinth, you remember that Paul spent a year and a half there, right? Paul spent a year, Paul didn't spend a year and a half anywhere. I mean, that was a long, extended amount of time for him to be in one place. Why? Because actually he did water too. He planted seed and he watered. And we know that about Paul. Paul was an evangelist and he was a disciple maker. And guess what? He's, he's our end sample. Every church needs every member to deliberately function as both a planter and a waterer. And here's the truth that we need to derive from that. If the church has an imbalance of either role, then in time the crops will fail and they will endanger the whole farm. I grew up in churches where evangelism was everything. I never heard about discipleship ever in my whole life until I got to the Baptist Temple, until I got to KCBT. Never heard of it, didn't know what it was, okay? But, they, but I went to churches that were serious about evangelism. And I have to tell you, the church I grew up in, it, it, it died a long time ago. That church, has been, that church has been dead for a long time because they had no discipleship. But now that I'm on this side, I know what discipleship is. I've also seen churches that have a philosophy of discipleship, and they emphasize that, but they lack any evangelism whatsoever. And they die the opposite kind of death. Because once you've discipled that first generation of people, and everybody, you look around, you're like, everybody's been discipled. Well, we did, we did our job. If evangelism is not natural to our churches, discipleship will never be common. If evangelism isn't natural to the congregation of your church, discipleship will never be a common thing. You say to yourself, well, why isn't discipleship thriving? Well, why? Probably because evangelism isn't thriving. So if our church members aren't instinctually evangelizing to their coworkers, to their family, to their, to their neighbors, their booster club friends then the truth is any momentum you have in discipleship right now will only be temporary and fleeting. The clearest sign of a healthy discipleship ministry is whether or not people are consistently coming to Christ. Because the truth is that when a disciple is made, they become an evangelist. That's what you want, right? That proves the maturity of that believer is whether or not they're going out into their community and winning people to Christ. So I want to reiterate how critical evangelism is to the health of discipleship, and in turn, how critical discipleship is to the health of evangelism. And so the outcomes of, evangel- of discipleship must be evangelists, right? They, they, they must be people that are willing to go and plant seed. Now look, there are millions of ways to minister the gospel in our communities. And in fact, um, I think Brett uh, with Eric is going to talk about, they're going to talk about that. I think they're going to be talking about evangelism strategies and how evangelism is critical for this discipleship. So I'm not going to spend any time there. But I want to point this out. When evangelism is instinctual, discipleship becomes prevalent. And once that culture takes root, then you can focus on the health and expansion and excellence of your discipleship ministry itself. And so that's the beauty of where I'm at right now in ministry. So if I can just be honest with you. 
where I'm at right now is that I have a ministry. I can't tell you how I got here. I mean, I could tell you the story, but it's all God. I can't tell you what happened. Uh, He did it. But we have discipleship as a church. It's a big deal to us. And we've been discipling. And then we decided one day that we're going to use Bible study for evangelism, and we just started doing that. And I'm watching a generation of young people who are giving their lives to evangelizing and discipling. And sometimes they wear the evangelism hat. And then sometimes they wear the, they, they wear the discipleship hat. But no person in our church thinks to themselves, yeah, I disciple, but does not think to themselves, I am also an evangelist. The, 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 the two things go hand in hand. In Kaya, that's the culture that I... I'm striving to create, and I see God doing it, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful to watch, and I pray that we never lose it. And you know the reason that we lose those things? is because we get in the way, and we get proud, we think we've got it figured out, and somewhere along the way, we just forget, we forget who we are, that we're small, and that that he gives the increase, we forget that part, and then the whole thing begins to crumble. But But I have been privilege to see a couple times in my life where evangelism and discipleship is hitting on on all cylinders. I actually don't know anything about cars, so I wanted to say all eight cylinders. Would that be the right thing? Is that the right term? Okay. Is seven cylinders? No, that's okay, thanks. But hitting on all cylinders, and and so that's, that's been beautiful to watch, and I'm thankful for that, but I'm telling you, what I'm realizing is that both things have to be a priority. We have to hold, hold both things with seriousness. The next thing is this, establishing and expanding discipleship ministry. So once that's happening and discipleship is beginning to take root, and I'm praying that that's a lot of the churches represented in this room, is that you're beginning to see discipleship take root in a new way. You know, I was out in the lobby looking at Thomas's engineering mind at work with all the discipleship things, right? The, the different names, all the different names. And the cool thing that I realized looking at that, and, and, and he helped me see it, is that is that last part, that purple part, if you look at the chart, the purple part represents the current disciples in their church. And there's a lot of purple up there. There's a lot of purple. And it's, it's amazing because if you look at it and you compare it to the, to the decade before and you just look back and you can see where discipleship's thrived, but, but there's something new about what's going on. You can see that discipleship's taking root in a very new and powerful way in this church. And hopefully a lot of us are seeing that in our churches, that God's up to something. Um, and as discipleship begins to expand, there's things that, that, that we should be doing to ensure that growth, to help continue to cultivate that. And that's what I want to talk about here is, is that a discipleship that is pre- prevalent will be expanding the kingdom and expanding the work. Evangelism and discipleship are the conta- contagion, Right? And once it infects the body, it naturally expands its influence. That's the way it's built. It's supposed to expand its influence. So people beginning to take uh, discipleship seriously and think about it in a new way and be excited about it, those are all signs that the contagion is taking. It's something that people want, not because it's a priority of the church alone, not because my pastor's always talking about it, because it's a priority to God and it's a priority to me. Right? When the members start talking that way and they're like, this is the thing, this is who I am, this is what I do, 
Not too long ago, one of our young men in the ministry say, uh, made this point, and, and when he was preaching, he said that when people ask you who you are, do you, talk about, do you talk about who you are in the world? Do you introduce yourself as who you are in the world? Or do you talk about who you are in the ministry? I thought that was a wonderful point. Like, yeah, hi, I'm an, I'm an engineer, or I'm a teacher, or whatever. Or do you say, you know what, my name is Brandon, and I evangelize in discipleship in my local church, and do discipleship in my local church. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we did that? And, and, and so th- there comes a point where people start thinking that way. People here at OHBC say to themselves, well, like the primary thing I do in my life is it's not my job. I can't wait to disciple this week. Once that starts happening, there are things that you need to take in, in, into consideration as a leader in order to ensure that that work can be sustainable because we can get in the way. We can box it in if we're not careful. And so as you begin to see this type of momentum then we as leaders need to recognize it's our job to scaffold that growth. In other words, even success needs a plan. Even even the success that God's given you, it needs a plan, and it it needs a plan that maybe looks like this. The first thing is this. You need to prepare your members. Preparing members. What are the expectations in terms of discipler readiness? How do, you, how do you ready the disciple makers in your church? So for our church, people don't disciple unless they've been through D2. They need to go through that training process. But having those processes down and that training down and knowing that and, and holding to that ensures the quality of discipleship moving forward. Making sure that people know what they're doing is a big deal. <clears throat> do, you, do you have a plan for ongoing training? So maybe people have been discipling for a while. You know, one of the things we realized at MBT was that we have a lot of old disciplers that have been discipling since back before we, long before we ever planted the church, decades of discipleship. And discipleship can go, grow stale in people's life, right? And it can become a duty and it can be an activity. And so what we need is regular refreshments of discipleship, training, you know, micro-training here and there, getting people together, rallying them together, pointing out this philosophical or strategic aspect of our discipleship ministry, things to consider, things to watch for in discipleship relationships. Don't forget this. How important is prayer in your discipleship relationship? What's counseling look like? And just picking at things and training and, and, and pulling things out and focusing people's attention is such a big deal. It's pivotal to ensuring that discipleship is sustainable in your body. What's the pairing process like in your church? Thinking about that. Who makes the pairings? You know, is it just James by himself, you know, via email? Like, here's who I want to pair, you know? It might be that in the beginning, but, but what about when James has to pair 30 people at once? And he doesn't know everything about everyone. And he doesn't know the details of their life. And he doesn't know where they got connected. And it, That's not sustainable. And so we need a plan even for our successes, and so at our church, the beautiful thing, it just kind of happened naturally, is that our fellowship pastors, they come together, we get the list from the, from the cost of discipleship class, we see who's signed up, and we know the lives of those people because they're in our, in our smaller flock. And then we as a team do the work of pairing. And in fact, I don't do any pairing that I haven't run by all the Bible study leaders in my ministry. So before I make any recommendations to the pastor and say, yeah, I think so-and-so should be paired with so-and-so, I think that would be a good pairing. I make sure all the Bible study leaders in my ministry have looked at that and considered it because they have input too. 
And so these are the types of things that we can do to prepare our members for discipleship. The next thing is building a team. As discipleship begins to grow in your church and more and more people are getting discipled, you might think about having a, a discipleship team that's more than just the guy at the counter to ask, answer the questions. <clears throat> you know, building a team is always good, you understand? Because giving away ministry is always good. Sharing ministry with other people is always good. But second of all, if you're anticipating growth of discipleship, having an infrastructure that supports growth is going to be critical. So we have to entrust other people in our church. We've got to train people on our discipleship team to be the ones that do the, the cost of discipleship class, to do those little micro trainings we were talking about, handing off work to other people to ensure that discipleship is everything that it can be. Building that team is really important. It can be very, very good and help the ministry thrive. Pastor Kenny Morgan has very wisely built a, a, a team of, of great discipleship folks around him. So Alvaro Briones is this guy right here with the glasses. He just came onto the discipleship team at Midtown Baptist Temple. His primary job is making sure that all of the web communication and training materials are excellent on MBT's website. Now that doesn't seem like a role. You're like, oh, well, that, what's that, 10 minutes of work a week? <laughs> Alvaro's, <laughs> Alvaro's been spending hours and hours a week making sure that this is, a, this is a useful tool for our ministry, and I'm trusting the Lord that it will be. But he had to be added to the team. And so building a discipleship team where there's different roles and functions will only help make the work more and more sustainable. The next thing is this, making ministry involvement easy. Making ministry involvement easy. If your discipleship ministry is going to grow, then we need to make space for new disciples to get involved in ministry in our churches. Okay, so let's pause here for a second. We got four goals of discipleship, and one of those goals is that every person that comes through discipleship would find their way into ministry work in our church. That's what we want, right? That's one of the goals. It's one of the objectives. But I wonder, you know, we have that expect expectation, we have that goal, but I wonder if we make that easy or not. And what I mean by that is we need to make room at the table for people. And so, you know, and this is, naturally I think this happens. There are certain ministries that are great first step ministries, right? Yeah, there's like the, the, the in, great introduction ministries. Like the hospitality team is a great introduction ministry, right? And they might not stay in that ministry forever, but it might be a season, a year or so, where they're like, I'm committing myself to this because I'm, I'm I want to be in ministry. Or maybe it's children's ministry, right? Or maybe it's the AV team. That takes a certain knowledge set, I think, maybe to get into that. You've got to be a nerd to get involved there. You don't want, but people can get trained. Listen to me. My point is, is this, that most of those service ministries in our church need a training mechanism. And sometimes we have ministries where people are so staunch and so shut off. Like, I've been doing children's ministry with seven-year-olds for 20 years, and you're going to add this person to my team? There's not really any room for them. I've got my lessons. I do my thing. And no, 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 I'm not. And we've got churches where, where our, we've, our ministers have gotten so rigid in their thinking that they make onboarding new people into ministry really difficult. And we, we're going to say, okay, here's the four goals of discipleship. You've got to find ministry to get involved in. But I, I wonder, like, I, I don't want to presume. I don't know what's going on in anybody's churches. I'm just talking out loud 
as a person who's been in four Baptist churches in his life, what may be going on in some of our congregations. And sometimes we don't make that ministry involvement very easy for people. And they get there and they join the hospitality team, but the hospitality team is not very hospitable to them. Like, hi, I'm new here. I'm like, here's a badge. You got that door over there. You know what I mean? Like, do we make ministry involvement easy for people? What are your gateway ministries? You should probably just determine those right now. What are the gateway ministries in your church? Is it the worship team? Is it, is it the cleaning teams? I know for Sam, cleaning team is definitely the, ga- the, gateway, the gateway ministry. And so we're going to talk more about ministry tomorrow um, in, in that session. But, but for now, we, we should understand that ministry should expand at the rate that you're producing disciples. So if you've got a bunch of disciples standing around and there's nowhere for them to go, well, how, are them, how are they supposed to become everything they're supposed to be? So here's the key point. Discipleship is designed to generate members who minister. That's what it's built to do. <clears throat> what we mean by that is it's a culture that, that is every bit as vested in ministry as the pastor. So when a disciple comes through discipleship, when they finish that discipleship, They should say to themselves, I believe in this work the same as James DeCoker does. That's how vested I am. I believe in this work at the same level that my pastor Randy Copeland does. I believe in this work that much, so I'm going to find my space and I'm going to get to work. So we have to open doors for people to exercise their gifting in accordance with their development. The next thing is this is we need a plan for continued growth. Every church should have this. If the work's going to be sustainable, then we need to make sure that we have a plan for success. And so when those people, those disciples start coming through, we need to be ready for them. And we need to make sure that as they pass through discipleship, that they know that discipleship doesn't end with 16 or 18 lessons. It doesn't end. There's more for you. That looks like this. Then it looks like this. At our church, we have a path of growth sign in the lobby that shows them exactly what that path of growth looks, looks like, so that they're not checking off boxes, but so that they can know that their development is perpetual, which is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, is perpetual discipleship. And if we don't have that plan, then discipleship can't prevail. It can't prevail. If someone says to themselves, well, I'm done with discipleship, hooray, I've, I've arrived. Oh, no, that level of training, that's, that's for those, like, Young guys that think they're going to be missionaries. That's what they do. They do D2 and they do LFBI. That's what they do. But discipleship doesn't stop. I mean, we learn that from John chapter 8. It continues. It continues. And so we need to have a plan for growth in our church that, that, that prevails. It's on display so people know that what's next. What's next? I often tell the young people this because, you know, when you're young, you're going to college and you're thinking about the work ladder, right? You're looking for the next job. You're looking for your career. It's the work ladder, okay? But spiritual growth is a path, okay? So you're not working your way up a ladder. You're working your way down a path. And that path ends at the, the day you stop breathing. That's a big deal. We have to understand that. We have to have a plan for it. Our churches should have a plan and it should be on display. Next is, we're going to have an emerging leadership. If, if discipleship is going to take, and it's going to start growing, and it's going to start having success, 
then you need to anticipate that there is going to be an emerging leadership and that you're going to be forming leaders from those disciples. Leadership doesn't mean preaching or oversight of a ministry. Leadership means influencing others. A church that produces ministries who are zealously endeavoring in the four goals will naturally reproduce leaders. And so here's our next key point. Our assertion should be that discipleship produces leaders. That should be our our assertion. And we're we're talking about a church that is growing upward as it grows wide. But what are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? Are we gonna accidentally, because we don't have a plan, we're gonna accidentally halt the work of God in the, in the life of that growing leader because we don't, we don't have a plan in place? We're gonna stunt the growth of that person that God's developed? We're gonna stifle what God is doing? If we're full of faith, we'll have a discipleship philosophy that anticipates more and more leaders every year. So what does that look like? We're gonna talk more about this in the third session, but, but for now, let's, let's consider these things. As leaders emerge, first of all, are we holding growing leaders to high expectations? I, and I, again, I learned everything I'm talking about. Let's just pause here one more time and say everything I learned about discipleship, I learned from Sam. Okay, that's where I learned it. He, if he wasn't already teaching this week, he should, be, he should be teaching this. Okay, but that would wear him out. But the, one of the things I learned about Sam Uh, watching Sam in ministry is that he always held the expectations for me just slightly outside of my reach. And so what that meant was he watched me fall a lot, grasping at the expectation. And then what he'd do is he'd watch me step back up, pick myself up, and then have faith, right? Not in my flesh, but in the Lord for that next ministry stride that next step i needed to take you can't do it in your flesh i'm going to set the expectation here i'm going to watch you try in your flesh go ahead i always ended the same way but then the thing i'm supposed to learn is that oh this is done in faith okay let's do this again and we're going to trust in the lord we're going to be patient on him and then then the stride takes place but you have to set high expectations Are we doing that? Are we watching for fruitfulness in our leaders? I mean, that's how you know, right? Are they fruitful? Are we watching for growth in wisdom and knowledge? Can we see that they're learning God's word, that that every year that passes, that that the book, chapter, verse that comes out of their mouth expands and gets wider and wider, and you just hear the knowledge of God's word and the wisdom of God pour out of them? Are we watching for consistent care for souls in their lives? Are, are your leaders prone to caring for people? Do you see them after service sitting in the pews counseling with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Do they have concern for shepherding? Are we giving them appropriate space for influence? It, it can, again, these are just questions. They can look a million different ways, but but maybe they lead this lesson this week in Sunday school. Um, or, or maybe they, they take over the cleaning team for you this week and you watch them as they manage other people get, get to the work of cleaning. It can look a million different ways, but the point is, is it appropriate? Are you giving them 
Are you, are, you, are you giving them a little at a time, just watching them, seeing what they do? You have to give something up in order to see that happen, right? Again, if we're that Sunday school teacher that's like, how is that new person in the ministry ever going to learn or grow or, or, or expand their and, and, and discover, wait, is this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or am I actually called to this over here? Or, or once I get my hands dirty, this is, this is where I belong I'm built to be a Sunday school teacher. Oh my gosh, I love this. And, and you're giving them space to, to, to experiment and to, to play and to be creative. And, and man, watching this, my kids are in the, in the children's ministry at our church. And there's a young man and young woman named Jake and Julia Bruce. And watching what they're doing with the fourth and fifth graders. So they're, they're, my son spent, uh, I think it was yesterday. What's today? It was Saturday. Saturday night, he spent four hours at Jake and Julia's house having just a good time. And they played games. And I didn't know what to expect when I came home. Keep it together. Okay. My son came home with a note card that he designed himself. And inside it, in his handwriting, are things to remember when he has quiet time with the Lord. And on the other side over here was a list of all the fruits of the Spirit. And he said, Dad, Jake helped me make this. I'm going to put this in my Bible so that when I go to bed each night, I can, I can walk through it. He's 10. If Jake and Julia didn't have space to be creative... We have, to, we have to give people influence. Are we giving them space for personal vision? Are we willing, away, uh, willing to give away ministry responsibility? Are we willing to do that? As leaders develop, then they too should be producing leaders. Like that's how, we, that's how I measure success in the life of a disciple. I can tell that God's making them into something more. Is when I see disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. When, you, when we see that generational work, then we're saying, okay, there's fruit that's proving that this person is unique. And, and we want to maybe start separating them from more and more work. When you can observe leaders, discipling leaders, then you will know that you have a discipleship that is beginning, beginning to be perpetual, which is what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So here's, in conclusion, here's the next key point. The scope of your discipleship will always be limited by the scale of your vision which is what we spoke about in the beginning. The scope of your discipleship will always be limited by the scale of your vision. Is your vision for discipleship scalable? Is it? Or is it confined and relegated to some strict adherence or tradition where you do discipleship this way? It's this, this is how we do discipleship. And somehow you've made it programmatic. You never intended that. You even say, yo, this is a process, not a program. Those words come out of your mouth. But yet you're doing things that limit the work of discipleship in your church. You don't even know you're doing it. I think we're all capable of it. Okay, I'm saying this because I know that I'm capable of holding back discipleship ministry by scaling down my vision. But if, I, if my, my vision remains big and it expands as God's work expands... That's a, that, that means that, that I'm leaving room for the work to be sustainable. Are you designing a ministry that assumes an objective that's unreasonable in the flesh? 
It has to go beyond logic. It has to go beyond reason. If you believe God to be a church planting, mission sending, envisioning, ministry obsessed God, then discipleship has to be the air that everyone in your church breathes. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. This principle, I love this principle because this principle says that before you go about establishing any form of creature comfort whatsoever, before you even put shelter over your head, you make sure that the field is ready. And that's a, that's a, that means God wants us to plan. And that his priority is not the roof over our head, it's the fruit in the field. And sometimes I think we get that backwards and when we do, discipleship becomes a program and it becomes lifeless and it doesn't reproduce. And so we have to reconsider what does it look like to have a prevailing discipleship ministry in our church. Tomorrow we'll talk about a perpetual discipleship ministry. Thank you guys. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.